um, it is a blessing to be with you here this morning, and it's a blessing to uh, share God's uh, word with you. I am uh, I'm reminded as as I'm I was thinking about uh, this message and, and missions. Uh, I'm brought back to my sophomore year of college, and I remember sitting at the back of the Campus Crusade meeting, and a speaker had come into town, and he spoke about God's heart for the nations, and that from Genesis to Revelation, we see a thread throughout Scripture that God has a passion for his own glory to be made known among all the nations of the world. And I'll be honest, as I heard that, I'd never thought about that before. And as he shared that, my heart just just leaped within me. I was just filled with such joy, such excitement. I remember after he, he spoke, I was just astonished that not everyone was, was just up cheering, uh, just because it was just so thrilling. And it really wasn't because of the speaker's ability um, or his skill at all. It was just the, the Lord's word uh, coming forth in power. And so I was thankful for that. And, and I do pray, as, as Harvey just mentioned, uh, we want North Point to be a church that is concerned about God's glory being made known among all the people of the world. And we want to be a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and missions-minded church. And so let me take a second, just one more time, and pray quickly and ask the Lord to bless this. <clears throat> Lord, again, I, I just pray that you would come, uh, that your Holy Spirit would come in power this morning. And it's, it's nothing that, that we can really control, but Lord, we can ask. And so I ask, God, that, that you would come, um, that the Spirit would really bring excitement through the Word. And that the Holy Spirit would bring excitement to me as I share these things from the Bible. And many of us have heard these things before, but God, even as Peter said in Second Peter, um, even though you are familiar with thing, these things that I'm sharing with you, it is good to be reminded of them. So for many of us, this is just a reminder. But God, I'm thankful even this past week and past couple weeks, I feel, God, that you are reviving and renewing uh, this great desire um, that you have um, and you're to be known among the nations and, and you're renewing it in my heart. And I pray that you would do that um, in our hearts this morning as well. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So it's no secret this morning what I'd like to do is I would like us to see the biblical foundation, that the biblical foundation for missions is the glory of God. And that flowing from this, we are called in biblical obedience to make his glory known among all nations throughout the world. So from the beginning, God desired his glory to fill the earth. And his primary means of doing this initially was by making God-glorifying worshipers of him, men and women, to cover and to fill the earth. And so remember, if you remember the first mandate that God gives to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And we see throughout Genesis that people were disobedient toward that. Uh, because of sin, because of the sinfulness of man, they rebelled against God's command. And instead of going throughout the earth and filling the earth. Um, instead, we read of the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. And the heart of the sin is found in verse 4 where they say, come, let us make a name for ourselves, let, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they were rejecting God's command. And so those at the Tower of Babel, they were dead wrong. 
Because the purpose of their existence is not to make a name for themselves, but is to make a name for their God. And see, they, just like us, as Isaiah 42, 8 or 43, 7 says, we were created for God's glory. And so I think that, you know, that, that truth applies to us today. And I think even myself and others, I think we fall into the trap often that we live in such a way to make ourselves great. And so we, we strive to excel in our careers so that we look great among those around us or our financial status. Or we just, in general, live in such a way so that others might think that we're great. And see, that's, that's dead wrong. That's just like what those at the Tower of Babel did. We're not to live for ourselves, for our own namesake. We're to live for something greater than that. We're to live in order to make God's name great. And so time and time again, throughout the Old Testament, we read that God is concerned for his own glory. The Bible teaches that God chose his people for his glory, that he created us for his glory, that he called Israel for his glory, that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. God raised Pharaoh up to show his power and to glorify his name, and you can go on and on and on. And in some ways, I've heard it said that, that the entire Bible is just a story of his glory. And so probably one of my, my favorite Old Testament stories that, that illustrates this point is in 2 Kings chapters 18 through 19. So you can, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 19 if you have a Bible. And to set the context, so in 931 BC, you have King Solomon, and King Solomon has this great kingdom that God had promised. He gave to David. Solomon, his son, inherits this great kingdom, but then due to his disobedience, the kingdom is divided. Solomon dies, 931 BC, and so you've got 12 tribes of Israel, and so the tribe of Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, they move south, form the southern kingdom. Jerusalem is the capital city. The remaining 10 tribes, they go north, they form what is known in Scripture as the Northern Kingdom or Israel or Ephraim, and Samaria is the capital city. So now in 722 B.C., the Northern Kingdom, Israel, is attacked by the ancient Near Eastern superpower Assyria, and Assyria sacks the capital. They take over the Northern Kingdom. And one thing that is helpful, helpful for us to know as we get into the story is that the Assyrians were really one of the most feared people of ancient antiquity. They were a powerful military force, and they were a warlike people. They were brutal. They were vicious. And if an ancient Near Eastern person simply heard the name of Assyria, they were frightened. They were a fierce power. So it was shortly before the northern kingdom fell that Hezekiah was crowned king of the southern kingdom in Judah. And after the Assyrians captured, captured the northern kingdom, they then began to harass, bully, and threaten the southern kingdom. So they're, they're expanding their, their empire. They're, they've taken out the northern kingdom. They're coming south. They're coming for Jerusalem. They want to take it out. And they've already actually uh, captured, if you read in 18, chapter 18, they've captured some of the fortified cities surrounding Jerusalem. So to be clear now, you have the most powerful army in the world at that time, and they are literally on the front door of Jerusalem, and they're going to take it out. And so the king of Assyria, he sends his three supreme commanders with a message for Hezekiah. And so the lead commander, he approaches the front gates. So there's a wall, Jerusalem is a walled city. You've got the front gates. He comes to it, and in front of everyone so that they can hear, and he speaks in the language of the people, he proclaims the greatness of Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria, and he arrogantly declares the weakness of Hezekiah 
and mocks the God whom they worship. He mocks, belittles, and insults the living God. He thinks the God of Israel is nothing more than just some of those false gods of these other pagan nations that he's taken out. They're just the same. They're going to go down just the same. And so here's Hezekiah. And you've got the, this, this power knocking on his front door. He's bringing out murderous threats towards Jerusalem. And he's moments away from attacking. And Hezekiah's destruction is not just imminent at this point. It is absolutely inevitable. And so then, the king of Assyria sends one more message to Hezekiah. And this one is even more blasphemous and more uh, offensive than the first. And so it's, it's in a letter. It's given to King Hezekiah. And if you go to chapter 19, verses 14 through 19, we read the following. So Hezekiah receives this letter. And in verse 14, we read, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and he spread it out before the Lord. So I can just imagine him taking this letter, going to the temple of the Lord, laying it out, just probably even laying prostrate before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed, Lord, the God of Israel enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Can you hear Hezekiah? just pleading with God. God, I know. He knew the word. He knew the Bible. He knew that God is passionate about what? He's passionate about his reputation among the nations. And he's saying, God, it's, it's being, your name is being dragged through the mud. You're being belittled. You're being mocked. God, are you going to do nothing? Are you going to let that evil king insult your holy name? And so do you guys remember what happens? Remember what happens? Well, that very night, God does, in fact, act. And what he does is he sends one angel through the Assyrian camp and he slaughters 185,000 Assyrians in one night with one angel. Isn't that amazing? I mean, God is concerned about his glory. He's concerned about his holy name. So much so that the blasphemy, mocking, and belittling of his, whole, belittling of his holy name resulted in the annihilation of the greatest, one of the greatest armies of the ancient Near East. We are to respect and to honor and to give glory to his holy name. He is passionate about that. And then the king of Assyria, uh, Sennacherib, he retreats. So his entire army's been decimated. So he goes back to Assyria. He goes to Nineveh, the capital. He goes there and he begins to worship in the temple of his false god in his rock. And he's, he's there he is killed and struck down by the sword by his very own sons. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I do as I please with the powers of heaven and with the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Listen to the, the God-centeredness of God from Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 22 through 23 and, and continuing with this idea that God is passionate about his own 
glory and passionate about his own name among the nations. So Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 23. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I prove myself holy through you before their eyes. So in this passage, uh, in Ezekiel, we see him mentioning this word profane several times. And so what exactly does it mean, especially in this context, uh, to profane God's holy name? Well, we know throughout the book of Ezekiel, that the prophet is writing to the Israelites who are in exile. So if you remember, we just read the story about King Hezekiah, and um, that took place around 700 B.C. And so now you've got 586 B.C., so about 120 or so years later, the southern kingdom follows suit just as the northern kingdom did. They fell into idolatry, and they were taken over by the Babylonians, by King Nebuchadnezzar. And so here Ezekiel is saying that the reason that they were profaning God's name, or the reason they profaned his name, the reason that they were overtaken by the Babylonians was because of their idolatry. Ezekiel makes it abundantly clear throughout the book. And so to profane God's name is to take the honor, the glory, and the praise that is rightly due God's name and to give it to false gods, to give it to another, to give it to something other than him. And right now, even as I speak, when we understand what profaning his name in that sense is, right now, as I speak, you have literally billions of people all over the world. You have, in India, there are 300 million gods that are worshipped in the Hindu religion. So if you were even to go to some of the Hindu temples in the surrounding area, even here in Lewis Center, you to peek in the door, what you'll see is you'll see false gods all throughout the temple. That's profaning God's holy name. Or you think of the, the 1.6 billion Muslims all across the world, and many of them gather together on Friday, which is their day of worship, and they bow in unison before a false god. Yeah, let's call it what is a false god whom they worship and they call Allah. That is profaning God's holy name. Or you think about the hundreds of millions of animistic people groups that have all of these different gods and tribal deities that they worship. Or you think about the atheistic Chinese or many of the atheists in, in Russia. Or, or you think about the, the idolatry of sex and promiscuity in the West. All of these people are profaning God's holy name. And so what does God have to say about this? When Isaiah 42.8, God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, God is on a mission. He is on a mission to make his name honored, praised, worshipped, and glorified among all peoples of the earth. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in all the earth. Numbers 14, 21, But indeed, as I live, the whole earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Habakkuk 2, 14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Psalm 86, 9, All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord, 
they will bring glory to your name. And this is just a sampling. The Old Testament is saturated with this kind of language. What, what uh, John read earlier from Psalm 96, similar type of language. See, God is on a mission to make his holy name praised, worshipped, and adored among all peoples of the earth. And he is God, and he will do as he pleases. He says, my purpose will stand. I will do all that I please, Isaiah 46.10. So how is it then that God wills to be glorified among all peoples of the earth? Well, it's clear from New Testament revelation that God desires to be glorified among all peoples of the earth through his son, Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews writes that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus prays in his high priestly prayer in, in John 17, 2 through 5. He says, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. What a clear sentence of the gospel and jesus continues saying i have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do and now father glorify me in your presence with the glory i had with you before the world began so do you see it god wills to be glorified among all peoples of the earth and how is he going to be glorified through the exaltation of his son jesus christ And so how will this be accomplished? How will Jesus be exalted among all peoples of the earth? Well, Matthew 24, 14, it's clear. And Jesus says here, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached into the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you hear that? The gospel will be what? The gospel will be preached. It will be preached. So I'm currently reading a book. Um, it's by Tom Doyle, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, it's called Dreams and Visions, Jesus is Jesus Awakening the Muslim World, and I, w- I would commend it to you, and uh, one of the uh, stories that, that really caught my attention as I've been reading through it is he gave uh, the story of a Muslim man, his name's Adele, and uh, Adele had a, a dream of Jesus, and uh, after the dream, he was kind of filled with some curiosity, but he was skeptical. But then for the next 25 nights in a row, he had dreams of Jesus. And so at this point, he's just overwhelmed with, with wonder and excitement and, and genuinely a, a, a desire to know more about him. And so he finds a Christian, and this believer shares the gospel with him, and Adele is miraculously converted. And Adele goes on to be a gifted evangelist. And so in, in, this is in Syria. So in Syria, they have a, a really integrated and, and big secret police network. And these secret police, part of their job is to keep an eye on high-risk believers, you know, believers that would be sharing the gospel with Muslims and leading them to the Lord. And so uh, he's being watched, surveil, you know, surveyed constantly, and he's thrown into prison, and it's kind of strange. Just, they would just kind of arbitrarily question him, interrogate him, bully him, threaten him, 
throw him in prison at times. He's thinking, well, I'm going to be in here the rest of my life. I'm going to die in here. And then they would just as arbitrarily release him. And so these things had happened a number of times. And at one point, because he gets to know his interrogators and the secret police pretty well, because there are certain ones assigned to him. And one of them, as he's walking down the street, Muhammad comes up and, and corners him and kind of looking around, making sure no one's watching. And he says, Adele, um, uh, you know, I have a good question for you. Um, Jesus uh, keeps appearing to me in my dreams. What, what, you know, what do you think that means? And Adele kind of smiles, and, and he says, well, you know, what's, what's Jesus saying in these dreams? And he said, well, you know, he's asking me lots of questions. And um, he said, the most haunting question is, he asked me, Muhammad, why are you persecuting me? He said, it's just really been haunting me. And Adele just kind of smiled, and he said, uh, well, you know, where were you when you had that dream? And Muhammad says, well, I was in a hotel room in Damascus. And, and Adele says, he says, well, I actually, I, I, I've heard of, uh, of a man who, was, who, who encountered Jesus in a vision on the, on the road to Damascus. And Muhammad goes, really? Really? Was this recent? And he goes, he goes no. And in fact, it was 2,000 years ago, and it's in the Bible. Let me share it with you. And the Lord led, uh, or Adele led uh, Muhammad to the Lord. And Muhammad was gloriously converted. And, and these testimonies, by the way, this specifically the author of the book was talking to Adele, and these, this is in Adele's own, own words. It's not just fairy tales. And so Muhammad ends up coming to the next underground house church meeting with Adele, and so everyone is super tense, uh, very anxious. This is the same guy that had bullied and threatened, and, and he's, uh, he's throwing a lot of them in prison, and so the, the, the room is just dead silent. And so he comes in, and Adele stands up, and Adele says, he says, we have a new believer with us tonight. And Muhammad has given his heart to Jesus. And so when the room realized this was for real, uh, Adele said that the room just erupted with praise. Just, just glorifying God, praising his name, and it was a, it was a powerful moment. And also that night, Muhammad shared something with Adele he hadn't shared with before. And he said, he said, Adele, when you were in your cell, um, I was one of the, the guards. And he said, I overheard you reciting the Psalms, and I was cut to the heart. He says, the Lord used his word to pierce my heart. And so, as you can see, I mean, the Lord, he's building his kingdom. Um, there are stories like this, and as you read this book, and as, as I interact with, with some of my missionary friends who are in the Middle East, as I interact with Nissen, and I'm going to give a mission update probably next week. I, I just got an email from our missionary that we support in Dubai. The Lord is saving people. He's, Christ is building his church, and that's what Jesus said, right? He said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And it's happening. The Lord is doing it. But he needs what? The Lord needs faithful preachers to preach this gospel. People aren't getting converted through dreams. They're just, that's not happening. What I'm reading and what I'm researching, that's just not happening. And, and God, so he, he ordains the end, and he ordains the means to that end. And the means is what? The means is he uses men and women to preach the gospel and to save those who are lost. And there are other stories that aren't really 
I guess you could say, is, is heartwarming as a story of Adele. Uh, when, I, when I read this, this next story, I was, I was really moved because I had read about this uh, young Saudi woman, Fatima, uh, before I went to the Middle East uh, to do some mission work. And so while I was there, um, actually, I got confirmation from the missionaries in the Arabian Peninsula that yeah, this, in fact, did happen. And so Fatima, she was a, a 26-year-old Saudi, and through a number of online forums, she had never met a Christian, but through online forums, and that's what's great about the internet, the Lord is using it in a wonderful way to build his kingdom. She had never met a Christian, she wasn't around any Christians, uh, but through online, she was interacting with these Muslims that had dreams of Jesus, and and, and then through that, they were led to the Bible or led to a believer and, and one to the Lord. And she was just infatuated with this. And so much so as she read about this powerful love of Jesus that they were describing that she downloaded the New Testament online and spent just all day and all night just pouring over this. And not long after that, she gave her heart to Jesus. And it was not too long after this had happened that her brother who worked for the religious police and was a, a devout Saudi Muslim, uh, went through her room while she was at work. And as he went through her room, he found her journals, and in her journals are just filled with this language of just this love and commitment to Jesus, and Jesus as Lord. And so he saw this, and he's just furious. And so she gets home, and he asks her point blank, he says, are you a follower of Jesus now? And Fatima answered very simply, she said, yes, yes, I am. So he locked her in her room, and she knew at this point it was probably looking like it was the end, and she typed this, this poem online with these other believers she had gotten to know online. And so you can read it. It's online, this last poem. Uh, and shortly after that, just within a couple of hours, her brother burst into her room, and he beat her so viciously that, that bones broke, skin was ruptured, she, he dragged her outside, cut out her tongue, and burned her alive. Unbelievable. Jesus said, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Do not suppose I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to bring a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies, Jesus says, will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not pick up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me, for my sake, Jesus says, we'll find it. Fatima lost her life for Jesus' sake, but she found it everlasting with Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom that will preach to all the nations of the world does not come without a price. I remember sitting with, it with a missionary while in the Arabian Peninsula and her just saying, people are dying. The price is great, but the reward is infinite. So the biblical foundation for missions is the glory of God. And flowing out from that, 
we are called in biblical obedience to make his glory known among all peoples of the earth. In 1974, we had the first, it was really uh, initiated by Billy Graham, the first worldwide conference of missionary leaders, Christian leaders. They came from all over the world and they convened in Lausanne, Switzerland. And this now is known as the Lausanne Conference. And during the conference, everyone was coming and they were excited because for the first time in history, the gospel had penetrated every geopolitical nation in the world. And so we're thinking, wow, the Great Commission has been fulfilled. Go and make disciples of all nations. We've penetrated every nation. They're high-fiving. They're excited. This is great. We've done it. Let's celebrate. Jesus is coming back. And then Ralph Winter spoke. And some of you are aware of this, but Ralph Winter, he got up and he shared with everyone during his plenary session in his talk that going into all the nations does not just refer to, and in fact, oftentimes it is not referred to in Scripture as geopolitical nations, but it refers to distinct people groups. And he coined the phrase people blindness. And so what that means is that the one country may contain hundreds if not thousands of distinct ethno-linguistic people groups. So for example, in China, you have, say if the gospel got to Shanghai and some people believed, oh great, we can mark China off the nation list. They've been reached. Well, there are actually over 500 distinct people groups within China. You've got the Miao, you've got the Northern and the Southern Dong, you've got the, the Tuja people, you have hundreds. And all of them are without a witness to, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they're, they are not reached. Because as Ralph Winter pointed out, when Jesus said, go into, he said, make disciples of all nations. When you look at the Greek rendering of that phrase, all the nations, all panta, ta, the nations, ethne, that's where we get the word ethnicities. So Jesus is saying, go into all ethnicities and preach the gospel. And the Psalms are replete with verses and languages like that. It's, it's, it's not just that isolated verse in the Great Commission, but Psalm 67, 5, let all the peoples. So oftentimes, and we were sharing with the kids in our shepherd group not too long ago, that doesn't sound like proper grammar. You've got one person, you have multiple people. And so if you see a group of people, you don't say, look at those peoples. And so what we're t talking about here, and there, there's different Greek words and Hebrew words for the word peoples which are referring to distinct ethno-linguistic people groups. And in fact, that word peoples appears over 229 times in the ESV. And it becomes even more clarified for us when you go to Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation 7, 9, where the apostle John writes and he said, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude of people from every nation, tribe, people, tongue, and language. And they're standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So in the end, we, we know the end of the story, there will be a remnant from every ethno-linguistic people group on the face of the earth standing before the, lone, the Lamb of God, before the throne of the Lamb and worshiping Him. So it's going to happen. So then what, what, what does this mean to us? Well, specifically this, this people group stuff means that obedience to the Great Commission is getting the gospel into every single one of these groups, which means we still have a lot of work to do. 
So when you, when you think about this, so kind of big picture, how many people are there in the world? Well, there are 7 billion people alive in the world today. How many ethno-linguistic people groups in the world? Well, according to the International Mission Board, which they're kind of at the cutting edge of the research regarding these things, there are 11,502 distinct ethno-linguistic people groups, distinct by language or ethnicity and, and culture. And how many of these are unreached? Well, 6,815 of these are unreached. And by unreached, I mean less than 2% of that people group is evangelical. And another important term to know is, is unengaged and unreached, meaning that there are not only no Christians, but there are no missionaries actively engaging them with the gospel. How many of those? There are approximately 3,109 of those. So we're talking about still tens, even hundreds of millions of people who are still yet without a witness to the gospel. And we know that thousands of these UPGs have no hope without preachers being sent to them. The crystal clear logic of Romans 10, 13 through 17, I, I just shared this last week, but here Paul says, and how can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news? And then verse 17, consequently, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And so that's, that's our prayer as as an elder team, is, is we want to be people that bring this good news. We want to be a congregation filled with beautiful feet. And maybe that means for some of you, maybe it means for some of the young people here, maybe that means you're supposed to share not just here, but maybe somewhere else, maybe on the other side of the globe, maybe some of our kids. We need to not be afraid of that, but we want to encourage that. Another uh, Muslim that, that I had met <clears throat> in the, uh, during, while I was in the uh, Middle East was a uh, man named Ibrahim. Uh, and Ibrahim was a Persian or, or an Iranian who was born and raised in uh, Bahrain. And he shared with me his testimony, and he said he had begun to just have this restlessness about Islam. Started to really kind of doubt its claims started to see a lot of the inconsistencies in the Quran. It just didn't make sense to him anymore. And uh, he had also uh, heard a, uh, an apologist uh, late uh, one night on, on TV and said some things that really got him thinking. And so he's like, man, I just want to know some more about Christianity. I want, some, want, some, want, want someone to share with me what Jesus is all about. And so he's in, a, obviously, a Muslim-dominated dominated country. So he goes to, there are some... Uh, like kind of expat churches in Bahrain. And so he goes to one of them and he knocks on the door. He says, hey, can you tell me about Jesus? And he says, yeah, I'm a Muslim, but I'm just curious. I, I want to know. And, and to them, that's like a red flag going off. Like, oh, this guy's probably secret police. There's no way. Um, and he was tried to sincerely convince them just to share something and they, they wouldn't have it. So he went to one other church in Bahrain, same thing. So he's kind of frustrated. He's saying, man, you know, how, how am I going to get some information here? And so he goes on a business trip to Iran, and while he's in Iran, he's thinking, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm finished with my meetings, I've got some time before my next flight, 
um, let's see if I can find a church. And so he's asking around, and they point him to this old building. He goes in, and it's a, it's a synagogue. It's a, it's a Jewish synagogue. And so he's, oh, man. And so he, he meets someone, and they say, well, you want to go to the church. And that's, that's over here on this, this part of town. So he goes to the church. It's an old building. He walks in, and there's one little old man in the church. And he corners him, and Ibrahim, hey, you know, can you tell me about Jesus? And he does. And so the Lord sent Ibrahim to Iran to hear the gospel through this little old man, and Ibrahim believed. And uh, just a wonderful, wonderful, kind spirit, loved the Lord, went through intense persecution. His, uh, his wife turned him into the authorities. Uh, his wife uh, divorced him shamefully, shaming him publicly. He's so happy. So again, so what, what do all these things mean to us? Well, I think partly what it means is Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, he says, we are commanded to be imitators of God. So what we saw throughout Scripture and what we see is that God is concerned about his glory being made known among all peoples of the earth. And so if God is concerned about it, if God is passionate about it, and we are to be his imitators, that's something that we need to be passionate about as well. It shouldn't just be an afterthought. This is something that can be so extremely difficult. It's easy to forget, but it's something we need to be reminded of, and we need to remind ourselves of. We need to meditate on these scriptures, and that is God wants his name and his fame through the exaltation of Jesus Christ to be made known everywhere. And so we need to take and to play a part in that. John Piper, <clears throat> he's done some great work for missions in our generation. And he said, we have three options. He said, you can go, you can send those who are going, or you can be disobedient. One of the ways I think practically, and one of the reasons I'm, I'm sharing with you this morning is to uh, really to encourage you and to try to persuade you uh, to sign up for the evangelism push among Muslims that we have in Columbus, Ohio. So that'll be February 20th, and so from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to have um, some training, some basic training. We're going to have some basic apologetic stuff, how to share the gospel with a Muslim. And then we're going to break up into groups, and those who are not experienced or maybe you know, not really sure on how to do this, it's fine. You're going to be paired up with a team leader who does, and you can just watch, listen, and pray. And it'll be a glorious time, and I encourage you to go. Because really, one of the main points of the Lausanne Conference, which continued to start in 1974, but has continued and will continue, is in 2010, they emphasized the, uh, the gospel advance among diaspora communities. And so what that means is, is so these, these unreached people groups that are being relocated for whatever reason in other parts of the world from their native land. And so, for example, right here in Columbus, we have 100,000 Muslims here in Columbus. All of them, virtually all of them, have immigrated and are relocated here in Columbus. Most of them are Somali. And so we have an amazing opportunity. This is, this is great, right? So you don't have to pack your bags and even say goodbye to your family. All you have to do is get in your car and drive 15 minutes south, and you're in Somaliland. Um. So that's one thing that we can be doing. That's an option. We can be praying for our missionaries, Nissen and Joanna. 
um, who are in really the epicenter of the 1040 window. You guys remember that? So, so from 10 degrees to 40 degrees north latitude from, from, from West Africa all the way across that section of the world to Japan. That's 95% of the world's unreached people groups live in that area. And you have the UAE, which Nissan and Joanna, where they live and they minister, is right in the center of the 1040 window. And you have students coming from all over the world, all of these unreached parts of the world, studying right there. And they're hearing the gospel. And, and actually what's, what's cool is even by you supporting this church, we are supporting Nissan and Joanna monthly. We're one of their largest supporters. And so by you giving to this church, you are giving to God's, you know, to the purpose of God's glory being made known among all peoples of the earth. That's a great thing. I'm thankful that our church is doing that. But maybe you could uh, join some of the others in our church that are, that are giving to them um, above and beyond that. There's something that we, we could be praying for unreached people groups in our shepherd groups, unreached people groups in our shepherd groups. That sounds kind of weird. And we could uh, send... You can send encouraging emails to Nissen and Joanna. Again, giving sacrificially. Maybe even considering going yourself. Maybe the Lord's working in your heart. Maybe there's some restlessness in your heart now. And you're not exactly sure why. Well, I would encourage you and I would encourage um, this church to, to, to take some time, even over the next week, kind of as we talk through practical application in light of these things, to think through, what would the Lord have you do? It's so hard. And I was just talking with, with Harvey just the other night. It's so hard to look up. And, and one of the things we're wanting so badly is, is for us to stop looking just inwardly and selfishly. It's, we're all prone to it. I do it all the time. But just thinking about us and our concerns, our problems. But I want you to, to, to lift your eyes. And part of my goal and my prayer this morning was for you to lift your eyes up from yourself and to see a greater purpose. There's some, something good and grand and glorious going on in the world. And, and we, we read and, and I shared just a few testimonies of that taking place throughout the globe. I mean, the Lord is doing amazing things. The, the real big news is not on the Fox headline or the New York Times. It's, it's, what, it's the hidden things of the kingdom. It's growing. And we want you to be a part of that. We want you to not um, ignore that. And I'm thankful for those in this church that, that do have a passion for these things. And I want to spur that on all the more. I'll close with, with one last story, and that is <clears throat> the story of Samuel Zwamer. And Zwamer, um, if you don't know, uh, he was uh, known as the Apostle to Islam. So he was born in the late 1800s. He's from Michigan and got... Uh, converted at a young age, but then it was a student volunteer movement who, who was a speaker of that organization. That was an organization that just raised up literally 100,000 college students to commit, to give, and to, to go to the unreached peoples of the world. Well, at that point, they would have just said, go to the unreached nations of the world. And so he got caught up in that, was passionate about that. He went to the Middle East, and he ministered in the Arabian Peninsula, one of the first missionaries to the Arabian world. And as he was there, uh, was faithful to preach the gospel, and he met another missionary from, from Australia. They got married, and they labored, and it was hard, and it was hot, like 110 degrees in the shade. And, but he was faithful to preach, um, had, admit, had been imprisoned at one point, went through hardships. But to me, the most difficult by far 
um, just without a doubt, is what he was in uh, Bahrain, and his daughter um, um, was sick with dysentery, and um, at the age of seven, uh, she passed away. And eight days after that, his second daughter got sick and died. Just eight days. And I, you know, and, and I remember reading about that years ago, but now with two daughters, it's just unspeakable. I can't imagine. And so while I was in Bahrain, they, they have, he had the tombstones to his, to his little girls are in a little Christian cemetery in Bahrain. And so it's, it's locked up and it's got uh, these big cement walls around it. Uh, because uh, the local Muslims would uh, uh, vandalize it and tear it up and whatnot and desecrate it. And uh, so I got a hold of the janitor, and it was actually when Emily came to visit me, and we, we, we had him open up the gate, and you walk in there, and you go to this, his tombstone, his two girls, and he took us right to it. And what Zwamer had inscribed on their tombstone was, May the lamb who was slain receive riches. Isn't that amazing? And uh, you think about the, the glory of Christ. And, and Jesus was sent on a rescue mission. And God the Father, he loves his son more than, infinitely more than, than anything in the universe. He loves his son. And he sent him on a mission, on a rescue mission, he sent him into earth as a missionary and, uh, and knowing he was going to die. So he lost his only son. I can't imagine the hurt within the Godhead, within God the Father. So let us pray. Let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your glory that is being made known among all peoples of the earth. And God, I pray that, that you would do a work in the lives of our people that this, and do a work in, in my heart and the elders' hearts that this just wouldn't be an afterthought, but God, that you would be um, moving in our midst. God, that we would have a, a, a good group of people go to get fired up and to see the gospel go forth among the Muslims in our backyard. And Lord, we'd be concerned about that. And Lord, this is, this is only a good thing, only... Uh, the, the health of our church will only be uh, improved through having a, a proper desire and love for the unreached. So God, I pray that you would do a work. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.